As a 15-year-old United States citizen, I don't often think about the law. I don't drive, I don't have a job, and I live in a safe community. So I can't say that when I get out of bed in the morning, I say to myself, Okay, I have to make sure I follow the Ten Commandments today. So, what are those ten? The first commandment is, Have no other gods before me. I find this easy to follow because I was raised in the church, and I only know one God. The second commandment says to not make yourself an idol. This one is easy for me to keep because I would never in my right mind think to myself, man, I need something else to worship. How about I make myself an animal sculpture and bow down and praise that for a while? The third commandment, not wrongfully using the name of God, has been taught to me for my entire life by my mother, and I know better than to take his name in vain. (laughs) Continuing on, the next commandment really kind of trips me up. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. I can't remember the last time I took a whole Sunday off and just rested the whole day, although I must admit I spend a lot of time on the couch watching football. But even so, the dishes still need done, the animals need taken care of, and there's always something else, like raking leaves, cleaning the house, and bringing in firewood. The culture we live in is always rushing around and being busy, so it is hard to completely take a day off. Next is honor your father and mother. I find this generally easy to follow because I am raised in a loving family where there is mutual respect between us. The next commandment in line brings up, you shall not murder, which is just common sense for me. (laughs) I can't say I'm the kind of person who goes out and kills people, and I hope you can all say the same thing for yourselves. The following commandment, not committing adultery, is pretty much irrelevant for me at this point in my life, (laughs) seeing as I'm not married. But it appears to be a temptation for others because it is on the news a lot. Not bearing false witness is a bit of a challenge for me to follow because I live in a teenage culture where people talk about others quite often. You shall not steal is an easy commandment for me to follow because I have everything I need. But this brings up the final commandment, which is you shall not covet. This deals with what I want, not with what I need. Coveting is almost impossible to get around, especially since our whole society is based on buying things that you want. Not what I need. Oh, sorry about that. Hold on. When my neighbor buys a new four-wheeler or puts in a new pool, I can't help but feel a little jealous and think, man, I wish I could have that too. Everyone around me seems to have something that I don't have, and I can't help but want it also. In the New Testament book of James, it says, For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it, which is why I'm glad that the law is not the only way to have a right relationship with God. You can have everlasting life through Jesus. Good morning. So uh, first, a quick question. I'd like a show of hands. How many of you have TV memories from the 1980s? 
I do. All right, most of us. There's some that don't. Okay, back in the 80s, there was a TV commercial that was uh, had a very catchy slogan to it, and it was a really honestly cheesy commercial. What it consisted of was a, a guy, a 20-something guy on rollerblades, I believe, going down the sidewalk eating a chocolate bar. Is this ringing any bells so far? Coming the opposite way is a 20-year-old girl carrying a container of peanut butter and eating the peanut butter out of the container. Anybody recognize? Yes, all right. What was that commercial for? What happens? Well, they collide, and the chocolate bar gets put into the peanut butter container, and they discover this amazing thing, too great taste to too, what was it? Two great tastes that taste great together. And what was that for? Reese's peanut butter cups, right? So this morning, on the way in, I stopped at Turkey Hill and got Reese's peanut butter cups. So, you're probably wondering where I'm going with this. Um, obviously, the fact that this passage from Mark, um, the greatest commandment, made it to our top 12 for our congregation, a lot of us view this this passage is really capsulizing something. And as I spent the last couple of weeks really focused on it, why it really jumps out to us as a congregation, I think it kind of came came to the light. So we're going to do a little bit of word association. Uh, so you're not off the hook yet. This is more participation. Either, I am either going to stand up here looking silly or you're going to help me out. So the first word that comes to mind when I say this word, Oreos and Milk, laurel and kittens and <laughs> kittens and puff. There are a lot of answers for that. I was thinking viral videos, but uh, Calvin and uh, let's see here, professors and <laughs> that's a good one too. <laughs> this is, uh, I had I solicited some help from my Facebook friends for this to compile a list, and one of them wrote professors and beards. My wife takes exception to this one. <laughs> she said, but uh, anyway, um, liver and <laughs> mm, this one's a little harder. Spring rolls and peanut sauce. Yes. <laughs> uh, let's see. MCC workers and sandals. <laughs> Again, that was not mine. Uh, let's see here. Green eggs and and uh, Kermit and wait, 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 wait. I said Kermit. What did people say first? Oh, frogs. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, I was thinking Miss Piggy. Uh, Facebook and. Yeah, or procrastination. Uh, all right, just a couple more. Schnitz and yeah, yeah. End with a couple Lancaster County ones. Shoe fly pie and and what? <laughs> I was thinking coffee, but ice cream is a good match as well. So some of these pairings, there's more flexibility than others. Mark 12 verse 30 and. And Mark 12:31. These two passages, these two verses, really, when you when they stand alone, they really lose a lot of their impact. Mark 20, Mark 
30 reads, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And then Jesus realizes he wasn't done answering the question yet. That's not the entire greatest commandment. He added on Mark 12:31. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So just like the, uh, the pairings that we went through um, with the responses, um, is shoe fly pie great on its own? Yes. Is it even better when it's paired with coffee or ice cream? Yeah. Uh, MCC workers, <laughs> I don't know. I guess MCC workers don't necessarily need sandals, but they do seem to go together somehow. Uh, Again, is it good to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Sure, absolutely. Is it good to love your neighbor as yourself? Yep. But something unique happens when those two commandments are joined together like Jesus did in his um, response to the person asking the question. When the two commandments are joined in the life, work, and witness of a body of believers or the life of an individual... Um, something greater happens than just if one of those is done by itself. So my challenge to you is the next time that you enjoy um, a really good flavor combination like chocolate and peanut butter or Thursday, we're probably going to have lots of flavor combinations that you all enjoy. I don't know what your favorite one may be on Thanksgiving, a Thanksgiving meal. But uh, think about how Jesus paired serving one another and loving God together intimately. And um, they can stand individually, but there's something really special that happens when they're kept together. Thanks. This morning I have the privilege of sharing from Micah 6-8, which was a favorite verse of my husband, Harold Stauffer. Some of you who are new in the congregation did not have the opportunity or the privilege of knowing Harold. But uh, so you'll learn a bit more about him in hearing me reflect on this, his favorite verse in the Bible. I learned that this was his favorite verse after I met Harold at Lancaster Mennonite High School and began dating him in the summer of 1954 between our junior and senior years. I remember he often quoted this verse after rigorous discussions and debates regarding church discipline plain dress, and the rules and regulations found in the Lancaster Conference Discipline Book. Of course, we were rather naive and lived very sheltered lives in those days and had a rather pious and probably pompous and even arrogant view of ourselves in relation to the rest of the world. We thought we had the truth. We thought we knew what God expected of us. We thought we knew the requirements. But did we really? We graduated in 1955, went off to college, dropped out in 1957 to get married, entered voluntary service in New York City for two years, came home one year to Lancaster County expecting to take over Harold's father's business, and then went to, instead decided to go to Somalia for a term of service with Eastern Mennonite Board of Missions from 1961 to 65. Believe me, in that period of time, our worlds began to expand. Our eyes were opened. 
we were exposed to other streams of theology. We realized that the world was made up of other Christians other than Brethren in Christ and Mennonite. We met Muslim friends in Somalia who took their faith in Allah as as seriously as we took our faith in God through the revelation of Jesus. We were able in Africa to observe the crumbling of colonialism. And we came back and we met up with Peace Corps teachers who served under Peace Corps with uh, President John F. Kennedy's program. We were exposed to many different ideas, many understandings. We came back to the United States and believe it or not, we marched around Lancaster Square carrying candles, marching against the Vietnam War. We asked questions about racism, sexism, classism in the church. And many times we found our own selves wanting as we slipped into the power systems in the church and in secular society. But Micah 6.8 was always there to remind us that it is genuine heart worship of God which issues in practical demonstrations of a changed life. He has showed you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God. Sounds like easy verses, but we found them hard to live out in daily life. But back to Harold's love for this verse. He actually chose this verse as a text for his funeral and his funeral plans, not knowing that he would die suddenly of a heart attack at age 71, February 13 of 2008. And later, as I picked our tombstone for our grave site at the East Petersburg Cemetery, I had this reference placed on the tombstone. Uh, I couldn't get the whole verse on it, so I had to just put the reference. Those who knew Harold well understood that he was not a chatty person. He was not one to pick up on just chatty conversation. He enjoyed good conversation, good discussions, and he was generally very thoughtful in framing his responses. He usually went to the heart of an issue. He could hone in on the critical, what really mattered. He was not interested in stroking egos, his own or anybody else's. He was not interested in protecting or seeking position or giving honor because of power and prestige. And he often spoke out against hierarchical systems. And I might remind you that right before he died, he had a running dialogue with Keith uh, Weaver, uh, chair of Lancaster Conference, uh, via email about including women in uh, church leadership, ordaining women. I think he really liked Micah 6.8, and I wish he was here to speak for himself, because of the succinct, brief, and terse way in which the prophet Micah used a few words to get to the heart of the subject, to make his point clear. Harold liked the voices of prophets. He felt they were honest enough to say it as they saw it, though guided by the Holy Spirit. And he always felt that every congregation needed to have prophets among it. And I know that we do here at East Chestnut Street. If you look at Micah, who wrote 700 years before the time of Christ, he cried out against idolatry, incurable oppression, the oppression of the poor by the rich. He spoke out against violence, 
He spoke out about women and children being driven from their homes, being abused. He talked about self-aggrandizement, bribery among the judges, the use of false weights and measures, about self-centeredness in leaders. Does that sound familiar? It sounds like the same old story, doesn't it? Micah spoke out against these things, and he, was, he spoke out brokenheartedly, warned of God's judgment upon Judah for their sins. But he seemed in his writings, if you read carefully, to hasten over the words of judgment and to linger more over the message of God's love and mercy. Micah was really a prophet of hope. But he reminded the people, it's not in the multiplication of religious ordinances. It's not in doctrine. It's not in rules and regulations. It's not in the most dramatic exhibitions of self-sacrifice that God is really served. But it is in doing justly, loving mercy, and walking in humble fellowship with God. I want to read the passage now from the message in modern language. But he's already made it plain how to live, what to do, what God is looking for in men and women. It's quite simple. Do what is fair and just to your neighbor. Be compassionate and loyal in your love. And don't take yourself too seriously. Take God seriously. I'm sure that I first heard pieces of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount when I was just a little kid in Sunday school, maybe children's meeting, possibly in Bible school. The blesseds have a soft rhythm to them. I learned the words long before I learned their meanings. I remember thinking about what made salt salty. I sang, this little light of mine, let it shine, Hide it under a bushel? No. We said the Lord's Prayer early on. Young minds can quickly learn that swing of phrases. And we thought about where we would store our treasures when we got them. I tried to imagine lilies toiling and spinning. And I learned that God wanted us to ask, A-S-K, when we needed help. And not only to ask, but also to seek and to knock. And if I ever forgot any of those words, I only needed to remember the spelling of ask, A-S-K, and they would come back to me, ask, seek, knock. And of course, we sang about the wise man building his house upon the rock and the foolish man building his house upon the sand and the rains that came tumbling down only to end in a terrible crash. This was Jesus speaking, I learned early on. But I'm sure I was in junior high, maybe senior high, before I started hearing the power behind these deceptively simple words. Gradually, I began to hear that Jesus' words have the ring of the Ten Commandments about them. This is about how Jesus' followers are expected to live. That's clear. But these words carry more than do's and don'ts. They go deep into our thoughts and motives. They address our hopes and our hungers. They speak about our very hearts 
They insist that we live truthful lives. But threaded throughout these three chapters is the clear message that we are never on our own to make all of this happen. We will not get there by a simple exertion of will. The more I live, the more I love these words. Jesus spoke so simply. The Beatitudes, the images of God looking after the grass and the birds, the model prayer he gave us. But all of these sort of innocent sounding sentences now seem like good sized rooms to me. They have space to explore and move around in. They invite me, well, they invite all of us to spend time with them, in them. What I've come to believe from this charter sermon of Jesus is that Jesus knows us fully. He began his first major sermon to his disciples by by acknowledging that many of us are poor in spirit. We're uncertain. We're worried. We carry heavy emotional burdens. And he starts there, where many of us find ourselves. Jesus' statements in these jam-packed three chapters are pointed and arresting. This is what is expected of us as Jesus' followers, as his disciples. And yet Jesus speaks within a framework of love, of God's abiding presence and strength, all available to us if we seek, ask, knock. This three-chapter treasure has sneaked up on me through the years. This, I have come to believe, is what a transformed life looks like. This is redeemed living. This is what we will look like and how we will behave when we love God and our fellow humans with all of our hearts, souls, and minds. This is territory way beyond being decent or courteous or even respectful. This is living without revenge. This is living in full truth. This is how it looks and feels and is when one seeks God's kingdom first and its righteousness.